1: Countless elections had gone by before I thought about the familiar faces that I've seen at my local polling place every year or two. At the John A. Patton Rec Center, where I've voted in Chattanooga, Tennessee, since I was 18 years old. After the 2020 election, I'll never look at them the same way again. The election workers who staff my polling site are diligent and hardworking public servants. I don't know most of them, but I recognize their faces. They're mostly older, many are retirees. A small nucleus of full-time election workers are supported by a broad group of part-time, patriotic citizens who serve as poll workers. Who wins the election isn't their concern. The process is. For that reason, they're sometimes forgotten. But in America, they make up the backbone of our uniquely decentralized system of elections. They didn't flinch in 2020 doing what they had to do to adapt to the changing environment of a pandemic. And still, we had a secure election with the highest turnout in a century. It couldn't have happened without the election workers who play a critical role, folks who are members of our community, our friends and family. But because of their heroic efforts to make the 2020 election happen, these public servants are now being threatened for doing their job and upholding their office. This is episode 38, Protecting Our Neighbors.
2: Well, there's a couple of different levels of election official uh, that I think are sort of important to identify. So there's the, the permanent people. And you know, I would be amongst uh, permanent employees who run elections. And yes, we have seasonal employees that are brought on temporarily. And then there are the people who we consider to be on the front lines, you know, the poll workers. And those are the people who they may not be county employees. They may just be people who volunteer in the community.
1: As Natalie Adona, an election official in Nevada County, California, explained, elections are run by both long-term employees and volunteers, all of whom are crucial to the process.
2: I think we are pretty adamant about selecting people who already have a good sense of what's at stake, and what's at stake is the vote, right? but we give them specific training on what the laws are, why it's important to have things like a chain of custody procedure, why it's important to have two people at minimum be with ballots and not just leave them alone with one person, things like that. We do different levels of training depending on what function it is that we're talking about.
1: As unfounded allegations of widespread voter fraud spread after the 2020 election Many of these election workers, from volunteers to elected officials from both parties, became targets. They were shamed, vilified, and even threatened with violence. This is the cost of disinformation, and it's a big problem.
0: It was clear some months in advance of the 2020 election that Philadelphia was going to be targeted, not only Was the former president and president of the United States at the time conspicuously mentioning Philadelphia, whether it was in the one debate where he said bad things happen in Philadelphia or his surrogates out there like Newt Gingrich and others suggesting that the National Guard should be sent in to Philadelphia to run the election.
1: Conspiracy theories have a way of playing on emotions such that common sense doesn't stand a chance. In hindsight, this was part of the sinister plan to undermine the 2020 elections. What seemed to be strong evidence that there wasn't widespread fraud became part of the case for a rigged election. Among those on the receiving end of accusations from the president of the United States was former Philadelphia city commissioner and the lone Republican on Philadelphia's election board, Al Schmidt.
0: Essentially, there was an attempt to disregard the outcome of that election before a single vote was cast. So it was conspicuous and you could see it coming. It's still different to see a punch being thrown your way and the punch actually hitting. So it doesn't come as you as a surprise, but it's still something to endure and to go through. And there was clearly this concerted effort to have the vote outcome in Philadelphia brought into question right out of the gate with no actual proof of any wrongdoing whatsoever. And ironically. President Trump outperformed in Philadelphia in 2020 compared to 2016.
1: Schmidt recalls the moment he realized what was going on as the results came in on election night and soon after how quickly his own safety was endangered. My office was down a hall where there was a TV on the wall,
0: and that was set to CNN, I think. And I was walking past at two or three in the morning on election night, and the former president was saying, why are they still counting in Philadelphia? The election's over. Polls closed at 8 p.m. All the votes should be counted. And that was clear when I knew and muttered to myself out loud, like, here it is. He's, he's doing. It. He's going to try to prevent our voters' votes from being counted. Republican voters, Democratic voters, independents, non affiliated and others to try to prevent our votes from being counted. And then I soon after that gave an interview on CNN early in the morning. And then the president, who apparently watches CNN, tweeted, It sounds stupid because it's like just a tweet. But he tweeted at me by name, calling me a rhino, saying that I'm refusing to look at a mountain of evidence of voter fraud in Philadelphia and whatever. That's when things really also escalated. That's when the death threats came and, and all the other ugliness.
1: Now, Schmidt's example was high profile. He was a notable election official from the minority political party in a major city. But Brian Corley, the supervisor of elections in Pasco County, Florida, shared with me that his staff faced an onslaught of hate speech and threats in the aftermath of the 2020 election.
3: I didn't speak about it during the cycle, but we did. I mean, very, very veiled threats. You know, I was called some stupid names, but what really troubled me and I didn't didn't address at the time publicly was one of my full-time staff who kind of headed up our call center is African-American. And she was called the N-word. 15, 20, 25 times and other inappropriate things to a
1: lady threatened to be shot, threatened to be beaten. Despite his home county going roughly 60-40 for former President Trump, Corley bemoans the prospect of politicizing the election process.
3: I've been doing this almost 16 years now. I have no interest in when politics hijacks election administration. Politics should be left to you know just that the, those running for office and the voters and the other stakeholders.
1: Corley explains that election administration is categorically different. I can speak for every one of my colleagues nationwide. You know, I'll be in meetings with my
3: fellow supervisors of elections in Florida. I could not tell you who is Republican or Democrat. I really couldn't. And I don't care. It's immaterial. It's a simple concept. We serve voters and we run good elections. And the rest is just fodder for the, the pundits. But when we're having to deal with accusations, questioning, imputing our integrity and calling into question our ethics, that gets a bit old after a while.
1: We'll be right back.
4: If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. There's no getting around it. There's a lot to be frustrated about. So why does American democracy look the way it does? And how can we make it more responsive to the people it was formed to serve? I'm Simone Leeper, host of Democracy Decoded, a podcast where we examine our government and discuss innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable and inclusive democracy. In season one, we'll take you on a journey where we delve into the nuts and bolts of our campaign finance system. We'll look at the effects of secret spending at both the federal and state level, explore where and how foreign governments are spending to attempt to influence American elections, and investigate the fight against the outsized influence wealthy special interests have on local elections. Democracy Decoded is a production of Campaign Legal Center. Find us at democracydecoded.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, let's get back to it. Unprecedented pressure and threats on election workers have caused concern about whether election worker participation will be as high for the midterms. Schmidt points out that unsubstantiated allegations dissuading seasoned election officials could have grave consequences.
0: Those election officials are making our democracy function and counting our voters' votes. And if they falter and they leave and they're replaced by people who don't know what they're doing, or people whose job it will be to run elections, but at the same time try to undermine confidence in them. That's a very dangerous place for us to be.
1: Natalie Adona expressed concern for escalating tensions after what she saw during the gubernatorial recall election last year.
2: I think that in recent elections, we have seen an increase of voters who, you know, for the most part, I think, are civil uh, they understand that, you know, everyone's just trying to to do their job and do their best. But my vote center workers had expressed that some of them were very surprised by how aggressively some voters came at them if, you know, they, they had to, for example, explain the rule on no electioneering or might have been sort of generally distrustful of the 2020 election, you know, sort of stuff of that nature. So I think that it's hard to say... When- whether that is a sort of increase of intimidation, but it was something that was noted in the recent gubernatorial recall that we had in California. So yeah, I think it is definitely a concern. It's something that I had included in the Vote Center training module just to give these workers a heads up that they may encounter situations that could be difficult and to give them some to de-escalate situations and you know just get the voter in, get them voting, and send them along their way.
1: Even in the face of such difficult and unknown circumstances, for his part, Corley is optimistic. That election workers will return. I
3: think we're going to be okay. You know, we've done some outreach to them. We've not really seen a huge tsunami of those that are not wanting to come back. But it's something that keeps me up at night worrying about that. It shouldn't. We shouldn't even have to have this discussion. Quite frankly, it's almost embarrassing. But it is something that's a concern. But I think ultimately we'll be okay.
1: It's a testament to their character that our friends and neighbors, like those that help run elections in Corleys County, are not deterred from their duty given the hostility that they've seen. And this is important because the stakes could not be much higher as election officials begin to recruit part-time election workers and volunteers in advance of the 2022 midterm elections. Issue 1's legislative director, Elise Workus, is actively engaged in efforts to find bipartisan consensus on legislation that would protect election workers for the first time in our country's history.
5: I think there's a lot to be done at the state level. And what I know is there's a lot that congress and the federal government generally can do to support election officials at this point so what that looks like is of course there's you know more expansive legal protections that could be passed and that would face the the 60 vote threshold in the senate just as everything else does and there's also a serious conversation we're having between protecting election officials and election funding and how these things are inextricably linked so with more robust or more regular federal funding, election officials could, if permitted by Congress and the Election Assistance Commission, They could invest in better physical security for them and their staffs. They could also invest in better cybersecurity trainings for them and their staffs, doxing training. So these are the kinds of things that election officials have raised that they could spend uh, to improve their own security and help them do their jobs effectively and safely if given more federal funding.
1: Beyond funding, Orca says the Election Assistance Commission and the Department of Justice could coordinate to better ensure protections for American election workers.
5: Attorney General Garland uh, set up a task force specifically addressing this threats problem this summer, and they are investigating current threats to election officials, but there's still a lot more they can do and a lot more guidance that they can provide to election officials who are on the receiving end of a lot of this negativity and threats.
1: On the next episode of Swamp Stories, we'll look at the overwhelming body of evidence that social media has played a corrosive role in our politics and talk to experts about what the road back to civility looks like. Thanks for listening to Swamp Stories, presented by Issue One, the country's leading political reform organization that unites Republicans, Democrats, and Independents to fix our broken political system. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review it on iTunes to help us reach more listeners. You can find out more at SwampStories.org. I'm your host, Weston Wong. A special thank you to executive producer Ethan Rome, senior producer Evan Ottenfield, producer Sydney Richards, and editor Parker Tant from parkerpodcasting.com. Swamp Stories was recorded in Tennessee, edited in Texas, and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts.